You're listening to a special edition of My Safe LA's Fire and Life Safety Podcast, remembering the Northridge earthquake 20 years later. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the My Safe LA Fire and Life Safety Podcast. I'm Cameron Barrett, and I am being joined for our 20th anniversary of Northridge Remembrance Series by Battalion Chief Joe Castro of the Los Angeles Fire Department. Hi, Joe. Hello. Before we even get to January 17, 1994, I should say that you're, um, you've got an interesting assignment today. It's a hot, dry, windy day. What are you up to? Well, I am um, the strike team commander of strike team channel one, which is at fire station 82 in Hollywood. And, and what that's about is um, on critical fire weather days, which basically um, are anytime we have relative humidity below 15% and then winds over 25 miles an hour, they stand up additional resources throughout the city to um, significantly augment our initial response in relation to a brush fire. So we are in unbelievably in the middle of January, but we are at a red flag alert today. So I'm here um, in addition to the normal complement of firefighters at Fire Station 82. We have five additional engines, that's 20 firefighters, and a battalion chief, and we just are standing here as a contingency to uh, respond to any brush fire. Okay, so we're going to keep that in mind because there might be some activity and some noise behind you, and you also might have to go uh, at any minute. Um, let's keep our fingers crossed that nothing happens on a high fire hazard day. But in January 17, 1994, uh, there were a lot of really unusual things that happened, including the fact that this was a completely undiscovered fault in a place where people did not know there would be any kind of earthquake danger other than the general Southern California earthquake danger. But it was a very violent earthquake, and it was um, it was a deadly earthquake. Can you remember what your rank and your assignment were back then? Yes, yes, I do. I was um, the task force commander, a captain two, at Fire Station 35, which is in the Los Feliz area of Hollywood. And, and I happened to be on duty that day also. So you were uh, at just a few minutes after 4 a.m. Were you already awake and getting ready to come in? No, I was at work that day. Uh, so we had, um, you know, our typical busy day there in, in the east end of Hollywood. And, and I, was, um, I was wrapped in the arms of Morpheus, the god of sleep. <laughs> and I was uh, in a deep sleep uh, when the earthquake actually hit at the fire station. And... Um, it woke you up, I would assume. It did, and and I I think initially I I uh, I, I tend to be a heavy sleeper, and I think that's due to a clear conscience. But um, I was deep into sleep, and I remember thinking that it was a dream, and then I woke up and and realized it wasn't. And some of the Celotex ceiling uh, tiles in the stationary fire station thirty five were dropping on me as I slept in my bed and and I remember thinking um that if you know I, you, you never really know where the epicenter is and when you you know we live in I've lived in California my whole life and when you feel the initial shaking your your first area of concern is are we at the epicenter or is the epicenter 50 miles away and or 100 miles away and and the the violent shaking not only the just the the sheer magnitude of it but the length that it lasted um, left me really concerned that if we weren't right at the epicenter, 
that wherever the epicenter was, there was going to be significant damage because it, uh, for my adult life, um, th- this was the most significant earthquake I ever remember feeling as far as the actual uh, violence and magnitude of the shaking. There's a really specific thing that happens when an earthquake strikes in Los Angeles uh, when it comes to the to the Los Angeles Fire Department, and that is you um, are trained, all of you are trained to immediately go into earthquake mode. Can you talk about that? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, the first thing we have to do is, uh, you know, we're, we're all obviously housed at different fire stations, uh, you know, a little over 100 stations throughout the city. And the first thing we need to do, obviously, is to um, get the apparatus, the equipment, and the, the personnel out of the station. And the reason um, should be fairly obvious, and that is in case uh, either the, the initial shaking or the aftershocks actually destroy the building, therefore trapping us in there and, and precluding the possibility of us going out through the city and rendering aid. So the first thing we did is um, I heard, uh, I, as a captain, I have I sleep in a dormitory by myself, but as I um, threw on my, my turnout pants and boots and I slid the pole, I can hear the, everyone in the station yelling. We had no power. The power went out, so it was completely dark. And we uh, our apparatus doors to um, to open to allow the apparatus to leave quarters were non-functional, obviously because of no electricity. But also they had um, we have a manual release, and I remember some of the firefighters pulling the manual release, and we still could not get the doors open. And they had actually the shaking had um, had moved them off their track. So we actually had to get the jaws of life off of the the truck and use that to pry open the door um, initially to, to an initial distance where we could then um, get enough bodies on either side to push the doors open. So that was the first order of business is to get the, the personnel and the equipment out of the fire station. And, and all fire stations immediately have what is called a safe refuge area uh, that they immediately go to during the uh, when we initially start the earthquake mode. And that's an area usually some parking lot real close to the station, somewhere that's not underneath overhead wires and things of that nature. And and then you go ahead and, and take a personal and a company accountability report to make sure everyone's there and everybody's okay. And so that kind of was our kinda do the You kind of do the same thing with your first in district, don't you? Well, what we do then is as soon as we um, we get out, and we assume or assess that everybody from Task Force 35 is okay. Then we check in with our battalion commander. Our battalion commander uh, similarly goes to a, a safe location, and then he checks on all the stations under his command to make sure that we don't have one station that's completely buried in rubble. And we check in over the radio. Um, at that point, as soon as the, um, the check-in from the battalion commander is complete, then each fire station drives a predetermined route of their entire district to, um, with specific emphasis on um, pre-identified target hazards. For instance, in, in our area, we have Children's Hospital, Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital, and Kaiser Hospital. So those are, are three of our initial things that we really have to assess whether or not they are have damage and require immediate assistance. And the, the concept behind this is to therefore be able to prioritize the needs of an entire district. And, and I'll give you an example. When we were driving through our district 
we had people coming out in the middle of the street and waving us down and telling us that they smelled gas in their property or that their fireplace had fallen down and things of that nature. And really, it's important for us to have the discipline to not really, unless we need to act immediately to save a life, that we continue through this drive-through of our district. Because if, for instance, if we had stopped at the first person that said they smelled gas and spent 15 minutes uh, trying to uh, uh, mitigate this gas leak problem, when two blocks down we had Children's Hospital with four floors pancaked, it would have been an inappropriate use of the resources. So that's kind of an, and this, this system is replicated in every fire station in the city. And we're supposed to have that done in about 10 minutes. It must still be kind of hard for residents who are obviously panicking to watch you, Certainly. you know, drive by in, in essence. Absolutely. It, it, it's tough. And, and we would, we would say a few words to them. Um, and, and it really speaks to the issue of, of, of education and, and preparedness on behalf of the citizens to know that we have a lot of stuff we have to do in those initial 10 minutes. And, and probably the single most important thing for us to communicate uh, to the citizens is, is to become uh, self-reliant for that first 10, 15 minutes, one hour, and take care of the small things that is within their realm, even with a little bit of an enhanced training, to take care of themselves so that you don't unnecessarily tie up LAFD or LAPD resources that may be on the scene of a much more significant life-threatening incident. What did you find? I mean, were, were those three hospitals, those three critical areas that you were checking on, were they okay? Uh, well, it, what's kind of funny is, is obviously in, in the aftermath of the, the Northridge earthquake, which I think we, we dealt with somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 50 fatalities overall, but the vast majority mm -hmm. came at at the Northridge Meadows apartment complex. Right. Um, and, and that seems to, and rightfully so, get a lot of the notoriety in the press. But there was significant damages throughout uh, other areas of L.A., and, and Hollywood was no exception. Um, I, I vividly recall driving down the middle of Hollywood Boulevard, and one of the reasons we were driving down the middle is because buildings, especially unreinforced masonry buildings, buildings built prior to 1933, had the walls, the exterior walls had fallen out and the number one lanes on each side of Hollywood Boulevard in the north and south were, uh, were, had a bunch of debris in them. So we were driving right down the double yellow lines because of all of the debris in the street. Um, and there were several building collapses, several issues to deal with in Hollywood. We had several fires, um, all with uh, we were forced to uh, handle with, with significantly less resources than we're, we're accustomed to. Yeah, you know, let's talk about that because this is another thing that I think a lot of residents in Los Angeles aren't aware of is, first of all, they might drive by you in that first, you know, just few minutes after the earthquake because of that initial assessment that's necessary. But also, it's kind of what happens during an earthquake is it's kind of the opposite of what you've got going on at Fire Station 82 right now where you have a lot of resources uh, because you are re getting ready, and, and hopefully it won't happen, but getting ready for a large uh, brush fire because of the weather conditions. But in earthquake, you're in something called a degraded mode where there's even less resources than would be normal. Yes? Absolutely. And, and realistically, it, it, when you look at the, the resources and available in Los Angeles City Fire Department, we're really on a 
compared to a, a national level, we're resource rich. We have a thousand firefighters in the city of Los Angeles in the street at any moment. A thousand firefighters are ready to respond. So even the largest of what we call a routine incident doesn't require the effort of a thousand firefighters. So consequently, we have, and especially in my position now as an incident commander, I have the ability to call as many resources as I would ever need to handle a normal, even large-scale major emergency. But in the degraded motor, when we have in the typical, one of the issues with an earthquake as it relates to other disasters, it's the footprint can be fairly widespread, meaning, you know, a big fire, a big high-rise fire is in one building. Obviously, here where we have a an earthquake, and I actually think the epicenter, even though they call it the Northridge, was actually in, in Reseda. But here we have a, a, an incident where the epicenter was in Reseda, yet we had significant damage uh, 10, 12, 15 miles away in Hollywood. So you do have the – one of the things I don't usually have to do is prioritize my objectives because I have enough manpower to handle all of my objectives, whereas mm-hmm. at an earthquake – we may have to prioritize our objectives and we may have to change our strategy and tactics depending on the availability of resources, which is a challenging thing to do, to be able to have to triage somebody's need over another citizen's need. But again, all at the end of the day, all we can do is make a decision that's based on the, you know, the the greater good of all of the the citizens of Los Angeles. And, And sometimes that's a tough thing to do and something we're not ordinarily used to. Yeah. That day, um, January seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. What, what, what are some of the events that stand out? I mean, driving down the middle of Hollywood Boulevard is obviously a big one, with the debris Certainly. all over the place and fires. But what, what else stands out? Well, we got one of the things we did was we got dispatched to a structure fire um, in uh, an area of I think it was Kingsley Avenue, which was uh, pretty close in between Sunset and Hollywood, and um, we were the only resource dispatched. Now, generally, at a structure fire at a building like that, we're used to getting an entire what we call Category B assignment, which is two task forces, two engines, uh, two BCs, a rescue ambulance, and an 800 ambulance. We were we were dispatched as Task Force 35 alone to this structure fire. We got there, and it was a, a significant structure fire, three-story single-family dwelling with heavy fire on the third floor. That was, we determined later, was... Um, uh, started by candles that were knocked over. They had candles that were burning. The earthquake start, or shook the candles off their foundation, went into combustible material, and started a fire. And we were forced to, to uh, extinguish that fire with just the one task force, which probably we would have had in reality maybe 10 companies. Um, so that was another one. Um, we had a couple of other fires up in the Hollywood Hills that were um, of similar circumstances, either um, unattended open flames or gas leaks or something of that nature that we again were forced to handle with um, with uh, very limited resources. Um, just the and, and that, that's in addition to the multitude of calls we got to shut gas off to um, help clear some debris. We had trees that had fallen over, branches had broken and fallen on things, and and so we received calls very much for, for about the next 24-hour period nonstop to take care of issues far, far away from the really identified damage area of, of Northridge and Reseda. Yeah, you know, it, it's probably easy to concentrate on the Northridge Meadows and, you know, a pancaked building and, and the need to rescue people. But um, there, are, there are a million minor emergencies 
and and kind of somewhat you know major emergencies in um, a typical earthquake in a large urban setting like Los Angeles. When when you think about 20 years ago, and then you know extrapolate all that you've learned and that you learned that day, and then what has been taught uh, and and through best practices to first responders in the last 20 years to be ready for that kind of widespread disaster. How's LA doing? Uh, are the citizens, is the fire department ready for the next one? Because it's not a matter of if, it's it's a matter of when. Well, it, that's a great question. Um, one of the things that's kind of funny is, is when I received the email about asking me to participate in this uh, interview, the first thing that struck me is that I couldn't believe that 20 years had gone by. It seems like <laughs> It was yesterday, um, and it's just an amazing figure to think that it was two decades ago. Um, But in addition to that, if we utilize that as a benchmark for our preparation, and another significant thing happened along these same lines, which was the attacks on the World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. Um, That happened, what, another seven years after the Northridge earthquake. And and in the, the wake of the attacks on the World Trade Center, the, through a series of, of two Homeland Security presidential directives, the entire country was um, therefore mandated to uh, subscribe to one system of incident management, which is outlined clearly in the doctrine, the NIMS doctrine, the NIS National Incident Management System. Now, this system of management is something that, um, that we have um, enhanced our already substantial knowledge in and practice and and it's an all risk system of management meaning it's it's for brush fires it's for tornadoes hurricanes terrorist attack and uh earthquakes any type of large scale widespread disaster so and and the even though the driving force was terrorism and, and attacks on on our homeland the system used to man- manage a terrorist attack is identical to the system we utilize to uh, manage an earthquake. So the subsequent um, pressure to practice and become more prepared from an organizational standpoint is um, has increased dramatically in 20 years. Not even we're, it's not even in the same zenith as we were 20 years ago, uh, and that's a good thing. We still have ways to go, um, without question. The you know we we can theorize as long as we want about the 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 true total destruction. In a, in a very widespread catastrophic earthquake. The one in China that happened, I don't know, what are we, probably eight, nine years ago, mm-hmm. um, 70,000 people died in that. Um, the earthquake in, in Japan that had a, uh, that resulted in a tsunami and, uh, and then, you know, the damage from the earthquake mm-hmm. and then uh, the meltdown of the nuclear reactor, all of those things are actual um, event incidents that occurred and and that are very plausible here um, and whether or not we have moved into uh, a period where we can even relax and say we're ready to handle something of that magnitude I don't think anybody is where we, we have a system uh, but the system really is is almost a hypothesis uh, right. to what it would, would stand up to the the scrutiny of, of a response of that magnitude and nature I, I would say that just based on my teaching, which I'm fortunate to teach the system throughout the United States, that we that I, it, it's my objective um, 
feeling that we're more ready than any large city in the country. Uh, but but there is definitely a ways to go, and, and a very important element of that, in addition to the professional protectors, um, LAPD, LAFD, and then all of the allied city family, response family, but that's the, the preparation of, of the citizens, which that element is something that's a little harder to get our arms around in terms of pre- preparation, but is absolutely vital in terms of a, a large-scale uh, earthquake. Battalion Chief Joe Castro, thank you so much for joining us and talking about that day back in 1994. Um, really appreciate you spending some time with us. Well, thank you very much for asking and, and all the efforts that you guys do to ensure a, a safer tomorrow for the citizens of Los Angeles. And for everybody who's listening to the My Safe LA Fire and Life Safety podcast, don't forget to click on all the other episodes that we've got regarding the 20th anniversary of the Northridge earthquake. We're talking to a lot of folks like Joe Castro who were there as first responders saving lives and protecting property on that day. You've been listening to a My Safe LA Fire and Life Safety podcast. My Safe LA is the public education partner of the Los Angeles Fire Department. Visit us at mysafela.org and lafd.org.